these steps to the iron-studded oaken door which yawns wide on rusted hinges, bidding us enter. Music. Do you hear it? Wait, it is well to stop, for here is the wizard of the Black Castle. Welcome to Slough Fig Radio, Season 1, Episode 8. Well, that was it? Okay. That was the intro. I didn't. I missed something. This is Adrian. This is Mike. And we're uh, back on. once again to uh, play some records for you. Good. This is one of ours. <laughs>
Hey, that was Knife World with um, a song called Sandy Sandstone off of their self-titled release on Roratorio Records. This is a band from Minneapolis that we played with many years ago. How many years ago are we talking about? I don't oh, know. Oh, God, like 10, well, 12 years ago, maybe? Okay. I'm trying to f- remember where... I mean, uh, where we played with them. Because we played with Bible, the Devil, in Minneapolis, like maybe like, or was that St. Paul? I have the same thing. Uh, like, uh, Twin Cities, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, we've, <laughs> we've played with them. And then the last time we went to Chicago, we f- drove to Minneapolis in the rain or whatever. Remember that? I don't. It was a lot of That rain. was not it, right? Um, I don't think so. It was when we played that place in St. Paul, that. that uh, that big sort of long hall with a big yeah, basement and in it. Yeah. And we had played there a couple times before. Okay. And the guitar player's name, I think, was John. Okay. And uh, he was a super cool guy, and he wanted to play um, uh, I Will Kill You, You Will Die. He wanted he, to play he it he himself, or he wanted us to play it? He wanted you to sing it and him to play guitar on oh, it. Oh, really? Because it, well, it was one of those this. ones where you were like, oh, you know, I don't know how to play and sing that one. Yeah, it's And he was like, I know how to yeah. play it. You know, we were like, okay, you know what? Next I don't time? remember that. That's weird. Yeah. This uh, this album, I kind of wanted to bring in a particularly of note because it's kind of one of the coolest um, album formats I've seen. the The cover and all the uh, the gatefold art is all in 3D, and the 3D glasses are built in to the record label. Oh, there it so is. So you, okay, okay. you look you look through yeah, the yeah, label. Yeah. To the look at the at the artwork to see the 3D action and it's uh, it's pretty cool stuff, man. Knife World. I don't know if they're still around. Pretty but cool uh, name. <coughs> but pretty pretty now, good stuff. I noticed that guy signed the uh, front of the record. Um, Two of the guys signed. Josh it. Journey, or is that someone named Journey, or is it? Is it does he call himself Josh Journey, or is um, <laughs> it? Be pretty cool if he. Josh Journey Hines. Yeah, that's his name, right? Josh. That's Journey. the drummer. Josh Journey Hines. And yeah. then John F. Nielsen is guitar and okay. vocals. I think they were one of those two-piece people. Oh, God. Wait, now I'm starting to think. 2007. Two, a two-piece band? 2007. Okay. Well, that's when it came out, but we don't know when we met them. Right. Yeah. We don't know when we met them. But and before that was Trick the Vicar from the Animal Spirits record Indeed. by Slaufeg. And that's that's another w- one that has a, well, a story behind it. I, th- I, <laughs> I think... <laughs> I don't remember whether that's the first song we wrote for that record or not, but I do remember that um, we spent a lot of time coming up with those punny, uh, silly lyrics in uh, in the airport in, um, I believe, uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, and uh, many people put their two cents in on that, including Harry Cantwell, uh, Angelo, and some people we called on the phone. Saying, oh, or we texted people. And then Alan, too. That too. Alan was one of the people we texted. Alan hey, man, trick the vicar, you know. And, and uh, some of them, there was a whole list of those that I had emailed or texted to people of those puns that didn't make it onto the record. I think the one Alan came up with was uh, keep the guru guessing or something like that. <laughs> really r- ridiculous. What else? Oh, God. That's a fun song, man. I like trick that one. Vicar. That was the fun yeah, album to yeah. me. Corrode the confidence of the constables, and I mean, this is pretty <laughs> silly stuff. All right, what are we gonna? We promised last week that we'd play more heavy metal this week. Um, if people were nonplussed by all this hardcore, perhaps, or, or maybe not. I don't know. I think people are interested, but I think it's time yeah. to g- get back to they're, the they're befuddled, the good stuff, <laughs> or dumbfounded. 
uh, non plus the nun. That didn't make it into the song. That was one that <laughs> non non plus the nun. yeah, that was one that uh, a friend of mine came up with uh, for Trick the Vicar. Yeah, non plus the nun. Yeah, but no, it didn't rhyme. Some of them just didn't fit into the make rhyme sense? scheme there. So uh, I want to play some Black Holocaust. If That's you remember them from Texas, I, I just want to let's see. We got a bunch of stuff here. Um, I think I remember saying something about underground metal last week that we wanted to play underground metal. Um, and I'm going to, well, um, we got some, now Black Holocaust is a band that I don't know if they're together still or not. And it is another band we met on tour right there. Um, and, uh, that would, they oh were yeah, pretty I remember darn them. good. We went down to South by Southwest or, or maybe we were just playing. No, I think it was South by Southwest. And I saw them playing in a, in a small bar with, uh, do it before, when I first encountered them, first heard of them, they were doing crazy maiden covers and they were able to pull it off perfectly and i i was really impressed by that wasn't um, these like becky's friends or something well they knew that they knew a bunch of people we knew down there but they weren't we didn't meet them through any particular person uh we met them i saw them play uh at one of those bars there on you know sixth street and then next time we went down there or something they were on the same show with us or i don't know what happened but we did play with them for sure mm. and i still owe them a t-shirt because i remember that uh when uh they left whatever place we played with them it was in austin uh they left they they you know mistakenly left a bag of t-shirts uh and, and you took one i took <laughs> one yeah and then but i emailed them or something or texted them called or whatever it was like hey I took one of your T-shirts, but you know we're going on, we're going on the rest of this tour. I'm going to wear it, so you know it's a good advertisement for you. I, sorry, I had to do it. I owe you a T-shirt, and they're like, I don't worry about it. Is that the one where you uh, cut the collar pink off? T-shirt. You no. cut the collar off and then do the, like the belly shirt type of thing. No, that's the one I'm wearing right now. No, wait. wait when did I do that? Yeah. Did I do that on tour? <laughs> because if I did, well, look, look what I'm wearing right now. Oh, I'm fucking serious, man. See this shirt? A belly shirt? Mike's wearing well, a belly I'm not, shirt today? I cut, I, you know why I'm wearing a belly shirt today? It's because, imagine, what would you do in this day and age, right about now, with the bottom of a shirt like that? Why oh would yeah, one do that? You cut it into masks. I cut it off and made a mask out of it. <laughs> so it wasn't a Black Holica <laughs> shirt, but it's funny that you mentioned it, because that is the first time. I definitely didn't cut the Black Holica shirt into a belly shirt, because <laughs> this is the first time I've ever done this. <laughs> cut a shirt awesome. up like that. So I know that's a pretty good guess there, Pally. Uh, I cut this one. Um, I cut the bottom five inches off, and then made it into like an H shape, right? And then put it around my and made a made a mask out of it. And that's it one works. way. It's one way to yeah, do it. And yeah. it works. All right, man, let's works. Uh, let's dig on anyway, some of this. So uh, we'll play. This is by Black Holocaust um, from Austin, Texas, and uh, there's a pretty technical metal on this. But uh, we are playing a song. Anyway, so yeah, this is Black Holocaust you're listening to right now from Austin, Texas.
Bravo's Iron Sword. Yeah. Uh, we had Black Holocaust from Austin, Texas, and that uh, last track was Iron Sword from Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal. A song called March On. A Portuguese metal band. Uh, the guy's name was Tan, Tan, uh, what was his last name? I don't know. And uh, Ricardo, Ricardo, our good yeah. friends who we played a Several bunch shows of gigs with. with. Yeah, down there in Greece. It was our first time in Greece. Uh, 19, not 19, uh, 2000 <laughs> and something, I don't know what it was, 2004, 5, I don't know. Something like that. And uh, 4, 2004, I believe. And um, that was... Uh, that was the first time, we went to probably Greece. the first and only time where I was able to get a full band photo with uh, me and you and Greg and John. John, yeah, well, maybe, yeah, I guess. Full band photo, like, like, like in the wild. What do you mean in the wild? We went to we went Ireland. To the, we went to the Acropolis, yeah, and yeah, and yeah. we we got the photos in front of the Parthenon. That's right. But we did photos bef- the earlier that trip at Danny Angus's house in Belfast in Ireland, which was the atomism. the atomism. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, I think that was the same tour. I don't really. I don't remember. No, it was, and then we were in Greece with uh, Iron Sword. Um. We had the hotel. I mean, all sorts of tan con- went all con- crazy. Oh well, that's yeah. That's it. Like okay, we're in, what? We're, did we go to Lisbon with them? And we did not, did we? Or no, did we? when we went to Lisbon, that was just that on was our later. Own. Yeah. We just saw Ricardo from Iron Sword there. But anyway, this is all in insider stuff that you don't need to hear about. We played with Iron Sword, who you just heard uh, in Greece in 2004, and we had a um, hotel there that. What exactly? Like we went out to a bar, and I remember the bar was strangely called Texas. You remember that? Oh, the Texas bar. Yeah, it was yes. called Texas. And this is the night before the show, I guess. I don't remember, man. And it was really, we got treated extremely well there. I remember that. Like uh, they kept it was. You know what? It was September 11th. Was it really? Yeah, yeah, it was. In 2004. I remember that. Uh, because September 11th was strangely my mother's birthday, so. Whoa! Really? Yeah, yeah. So I never forgot her wow. birthday after that. <laughs> What's mom's birthday again? And uh, I called her from Greece uh, on her birthday. So I mean, we were doing an interview while this was going on. I mean, I called her like right before or after this interview. Some guy actually came up to the room to interview us, which is something that doesn't happen as often as I mean, it does, but not very often. And um, they, but when he did. First, I don't know, it was a Greek metal hammer or something like that, the magazine that it was for. And then all these, do you remember those guys, these young guys kept coming up, bringing us all these, uh, all this pizza and like shawarma or kebabs or something and just souvlaki. filling the refrigerator. Yeah, they were bringing the souvlaki. Souvlaki. Yeah. And your, the refrigerator was full of all this food. And, um, but it wasn't the greatest. We in Greece, the, you know, they got really great food. But we, it was like this, re- they, you know, metal band from America. They just think, oh, all they want to eat is pizza and drink Budweiser or something like that. So they brought us all this crap, souvlaki, yeah, and uh, souvlaki, man. And so in that hotel, meat. Oh yeah, I remember that that night we went out to the Texas bar and everybody, you know, just, just basically drank way too much and we went back to. Was it? And then we went back to the hotel, and Tan behaved him. Tan from Iron Sword, who you heard singing there, behaved himself very well that night. He was like, "Maybe we should go back to the hotel. Maybe we should get some rest." You know, being real responsible. And then the next night after the gig, I guess it makes sense. He wanted to be energetic for the gig or something. 
And the gig was the gig was insane. I mean, it was like totally packed. It was a huge gig, and everyone. I remember that show. Everyone in that audience knew every word to every song we did. And we knew all the words to the Iron Sword songs too. I know, and to everything. It it was like I, I did just. It was insane, you know. The Greek metal armada. Yeah, that was the was that what they called themselves. I or guess. Something? I, don't yeah. know. I just remember that was the first time that um, that happened, where every single person that I looked at was singing the lyrics, and there was you know there was a pretty there's you know like three hundred of them or something like that. It was a, it was a great great show, and um, afterwards, that's when Tan went crazy because he kept telling us. How much he loved American rock and roll, and how much he loved oh, yeah. Black Oak, Black Oak, <laughs> Southern Arkansas. Southern rock. He yeah, was he was constantly Southern rock. He was constantly talking about Black Oak, Arkansas, and like Blackfoot and all this stuff, you know. Molly Hatchet. Molly stuff. Hatchet. Yeah, all this stuff that nobody, <laughs> no Americans really talk about anymore. Re- really, you know, especially not back then. And we were Southern like, Southern oh, rock. Yeah, that's cool. And the Nuge and stuff, you know, which isn't Southern rock, but and then, uh, yeah, and then he went off with the fire extinguisher, like, uh, you know, like. Like Ripping Neil down Smith the hallways. And Cooper. Yeah, yeah. Ripping down the hallways with the fire extinguisher, blowing everything out. And then the next day, the 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 guy from the, the from desk, the, little, yeah, the front know, desk was, guy, was bitching at us. Yeah, he yeah. was yelling at us because th- he thought it was us. Well, what happened was he we Tan said to me that night. He said, "Should we like trash the hotel room?" And I said, "Whoa!" Like you know, he had these American rock star dreams. <laughs> about he wanted to act like Jim Dandy from. From Black Oak, Arkansas. I was like, you can't really do that in this situation because yeah, we're not quite. You're going to end yet. up paying for it, you know. Maybe he got, maybe he got, I don't know, but maybe he got carried away because remember that tour bus that that we ended up oh, on? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They took us out on this crazy. I mean, it was oh god, it was a really nice bus. Yeah, but it was ridiculous. It was we could have Greg Varsamis, I guess he could have um, gave us that money. Gave us the actual, you know, the actual bucks instead of <laughs> and then of not done the gig. This no, <laughs> not the gig, but the giant. It was a, it was like a like a Greyhound bus or something that he put us on to take us to Thessaloniki to play some tiny little place. So he poured all these these good looking Greek kids on there, um, uh, to uh, you know all the people from Athens who want not Thessaloniki. They wanted to go down to some island. We played some island down in. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, the we name had to it. cross a. Um, we had to cross a bridge. Did we put that bus on a ferry or something? Yeah, too? something like that. No, maybe not a. F- di- yeah, we did. I think we put the bus. How on the hell the ferry. did we get? Remember how huge that thing was? Yeah, it was a giant like nightliner type. I you know, it wasn't a nightliner, it. but it was a giant bus, a real like a Greyhound bus. And um, so Tan, maybe he was thinking we really made it now. We got a giant bus, or I don't know what he was thinking. We got a bus. Let's trash the hotel. Yeah, room. so let's trash the hotel room. So so uh, I was like, I don't think you want to do that because that's going to get you in trouble. With you know, we're not going to be able to pay for it or we're gonna, they're, they're, you know who's going to pay for it we're I'm gonna not going to trash any hotel rooms until we are playing much larger venues you're not, who's going to trash a hotel room I now mean, when you're at our age motel we're 6 <laughs> when you're <laughs> paying for it out of your own mind at our age Shake we'll probably out. be happier to not trash the hotel room and just sleep in the nice I don't big think bed trashing the hotel room is not something we're on any level to <laughs> wherever you know so tan though god bless him was like Oh come on, man! Let's trash the hotel room. That's what you're supposed to do, you know, because he'd never been on tour or anything any, uh, like that before. So, so he ended up saying, "All right, all right, I'll, I'll just go to bed or something," you know. And then the next morning, yeah, when we came down, I remember that guy at the desk, uh, that old Greek guy, looked at us and he was like, "Are you on floor number four or something like that?" And we were like, "No, we're on floor three. And he, well, who's on floor four? I don't know because we had long hair and we looked like they, you know. 
like like uh, the guy. Somebody that, was that, trashing my hotel. Yeah, what is somebody? He took the fire extinguisher out and and, and uh, unleashed it on the hallway and on the room and everywhere. And he got away with it too. Well, yeah. When what's his name? Totally when Ra- when Ricardo it. came down, he was like, "Oh no, eh, Tan really did it. You know, he did what he <laughs> said he was going to do. He went crazy and trashed everything. You know, the hallway and did something in the in the room and I." He just, you know, he just took the fire extinguisher and sprayed it everywhere. That's like an old Alice Cooper story, like Neil Smith or the drummer for Alice Cooper used to. There's a really good um, video uh, from that show in Athens. It's on YouTube. There's a video you of can the, barely great, see the Great Ice Wars. Yeah, and it's it's cool because it's chaotic. You can't. It's from far away. You yeah. really can't tell what's going on. You can just see that it's this chaotic show, and it's yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, that was Iron Sword and Black Holic Black Holocaust. That was that. What you just heard there was. One of the uh, uh, least technical of their songs in that record, actually. So if you want to hear more of that, uh, check them out. Um, I think those albums are on from Austin, Texas, yeah. YouTube or well, I mean, uh, or, yeah. Anyway, let's get with the Q and A. Yeah. So uh, once again, all the, you know, all the things that we talk about here. You can't get um, T and A. You got to do Q and A. I guess see how it works. You always got to keep your pen and paper handy when listening like to Slapfake yeah. Radio because that way, um, you know, if we say something interesting, you don't have to email us and ask us what we said. But anyways, um, Spencer writes about uh, he's a longtime Spencer? listener and he's yeah and he's he's asked some questions before. He was saying how he graduated high school in 1995, and, uh, you know, he was saying that previously we mentioned that we were not going to be playing Pantera or anything, but he said that uh, when he discovered Pantera, it was life-changing. You know, he totally loved it, yada, yada, yada. (coughs) But he says that he feels the success of Pantera had really been resented by the underground metal scene and many metal fans. And uh, since you were an active band at the time, what did you think of Pantera? Did you go to any of their shows? I'm curious because they were able to punch it, punch through all the 90s trends and be the metal gods of that time, yet they never really got the nod or the acceptance from some underground metal fans, especially now. Um, I have some theories, but I'd like to hear from you since you were there in the scene playing at the time. Pantera. Why, why don't you dig it, Mike? Well, I don't know if I... I mean, uh, I think what we said last time about Pantera was just like... I, I think I said that in reference to... Well, sort of what he said. I said, I want to... So if we're going to play some metal next week, we got to play some underground metal that you wouldn't normally hear. Because I think some of the point of doing this, a lot of the point of doing this, is to uh, you know let people hear some of the band, the super underground metal bands that they might not normally hear. Uh, and But also, we've played... Some more mainstream stuff here for sure. Stuff obviously, stuff that we like. Last week, stuff, stuff that we, we like. And Pantera. Okay, so obviously that remark was sort of off the cuff. Um, or, <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, it why wasn't is Pantera resented by the underground? I don't metal resent community. anything about Pantera. Um, I'm just when I, I said Pantera because I was like, we don't need to play any mainstreamy stuff or any stuff that's not uh, that that's not. Um, like in the '90s, for example, he's talking about. He's, he he said that they, that Pantera avoided uh, the trends or something like that. I'm not so sure uh, so sure about that, for better or for worse, you know, for Pantera and their fans. I'm not sure if that's true, because okay, I guess you could argue they were trendsetters in the '90s, because when you think of that sort of tough guy, 
what's the name for it? Not new metal, but that sort of like it was kind of new tough metal. guy metal. It, I, I it, lumped it in with the new I metal. I think of them as like maybe the fir- maybe the originator of that style. So in a way, it's hard to call them trendy, maybe. But the the reason that a lot of people resented them, I think, is because remember they were a hair band in the late eighties. I think I know very little. Yeah, about yeah, Pantera. they were they were some sort of yeah they were a yeah, hair metal they were band. They were a hair band. So and then nineties came around and they started sounding like sort of the the, the tough guy nineties sound. And so I don't know if you could say they never followed trends or not. Maybe they originated that trend. I don't really know. I mean, I definitely used to say when, when uh, for instance, when a band would play, uh, you'd hear a band or you'd hear of a band. They go, well, what do those guys sound like? Are they like metal? What kind of metal are they? And I remember someone at a club saying, and I repeated this, like, uh, oh, they're like, you know, tough guy Pantera style. And I knew exactly what he meant. Yep. And then I started referring to bands as tough guy Pantera. Because they are. They're tough like guy a metal. Tough guy, like, dun, 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 you know, there's sort of that, that, whatever that's, you call that style. Um, I remember when that stuff came out, and it just didn't catch on with me, man. Didn't I, catch you know, me at all. I tried oh, to yeah, listen to it. I had friends who heard, who were listening to it, but I just didn't dig the style, man. Yeah, I, but to I, be I, fair, I guess I haven't heard. I can't really tell you that much about you know how much Pantera have I listened to. Like a few songs here and there, I heard. Right. And if that that eighties hair stuff that they did, I heard a few songs off whatever record they did, or and I wasn't really my thing, and I kind of just moved on. But no, I'm not like against pantera or anything i just uh so i don't i guess the, the answer for me at least is i don't know enough about them to say why they didn't catch on with the underground scene or this or that i they definitely represented something that was not what the underground fans were into Correct. that's for sure yes. in fact a lot of underground bands in the 90s were sort of rebelling against pantera type stuff because that was what more mainstream that was going on and that's what was happening to metal metal was going away from uh, sort of the 80s sound into stuff that sounded like Pantera. It was and more like that staccato stop and start and chicka junk, chicka junk, chicka junk, chicka junk. Well, there was, a, there was an industrial music um, uh, resemblance there that people would talk about. Hey, maybe we'll have an episode where we play a bunch no, of weird industrial no, I don't. Things. No, no, see, I don't want to. No. <laughs> I mean, Pantera is certainly not an industrial <laughs> metal band, but that sound was associated you know, with bands like Pantera, sort of like the like, music industry, yeah, whatever you. I don't know what you call that stuff. I didn't like it at the time. Yeah, me neither. And uh, I don't know. I think, but that's what uh, they weren't accepted by the underground for reasons like that because they that was a mainstreamy sound at the time, and it didn't sound like the kind of metal that we grew up with, and we wanted to, you know. And uh, yes, I suppose it was something new, but I it guess wasn't it was, new in the way but that. But it didn't resonate with me. I, I wanted better riffs. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't have a lot of musicality to it. Yeah, there now you again, go. Pantera. I'm not sure. Maybe there's more musicality to them. I don't know. But that general style people associate with them, so it's hard to say. However, I gotta say that when I met Phil Anselmo, he oh was, yeah, he was really cool, <laughs> cool he guy. Was. Yeah, yeah. He was really cool. They were playing at a local show here, and uh, we had gotten offered. Oh, we were going to go on tour with them. Yeah. With uh, oh, with oh, Down. Yeah, we were going to go on tour with Down. But Down, we, we, yeah. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't do it because we had schedule conflicts or something. You know, we all had to work. We all have jobs, you know. We can't well, it was more like this thing, like, can you meet them in – they're from New Orleans, or at least he is. Can you go down to New Orleans and meet up with them in, like, two months from now? Yeah, it was In the really winter. Quick. And go play for five weeks straight. Like, like, right now, you need to make this decision. Yeah. And you and me, I remember the ones who couldn't, like Angelo and yeah. Harry, were like, well, maybe I can do it. I was like, well, I'm teaching yeah, this no, semester and I'm about to start. I can't just say I need five weeks off in the middle of the semester and you couldn't do it with your job. So 
And then uh, Down was playing like somewhat soon after we had had this discussion. Well, on that tour that we unfortunately had to turn down. They, they were playing at the San Francisco Regency Ball. Yeah, and you guys went. I couldn't go. But oh, you, you didn't guys, go to that? No, I was sick. Remember, we were, in the, we were at Trackworks, and we were making... What we were making, animal spirits. No, that Abe Uprising. A, uh, no, hard uh, water. You're going backwards. Okay. <laughs> it was uh, digital resistance. Digital resistance, and uh, I was catching a really bad flu that day in the studio. I was like, oh man, I'm feeling really sick. I'm getting shivery. I'm getting a fever. Pre-COVID. Yes, 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 and and um, and we were all going to go. Uh, they had invited us to their show down had and i was i was so sick i was like it would be really lame for me to show up there and shake hands <laughs> with these phil and selma with these guys and say like, hey by the way i got the flu i'm gonna hang out with you backstage when you're on tour like hey, get the, uh, it was just a bad idea so i didn't go yeah and the backstage rooms were really small too the backstage rooms there no i was just dying really i was small. getting so sick that, they were yeah. really packed filled with all kinds of pot smoke and stuff but you guys hung out with them and had a yeah, good time yeah, right cool. yeah, yeah they yeah. were really nice to us man they were really nice to us, but uh, yeah, I never got into the Pantera thing. But what I did get into, uh, I got into some Witchfinder General. Oh,
Merciful Fate, Corpse Without Soul. It's from uh, 1987, from the beginning. That's 87, I believe. That's what, pretty sure. We were just talking about how um, when I was in high school, I <laughs> liked Merciful Fate because the, the imagery and the cover art was just, and the King Diamond just, you know, crazy. And uh, I figured that was the most offensive thing that, you know, I saw at some point, and so that was, the t I wish I still had those records, but it was one of those things where me and my friends, we didn't have enough money to buy the records on our own, but if we each pitched in like three or four dollars, then we could, we could buy these records, you know, so we would take all, we would be about four or five of us. And we'd go to the record store, we'd take all the money we had, and we'd buy like three or That's four records. That's something I never did. That's no, weird. I never heard of that before. Yeah, we'd, we'd pull Well, then who, took, who got them, though? Who, who ended up with them? We, well, it's like you get it for a few days, and then I get it for a few days, and then we talk about it. And then we I can't and then imagine that. the other that. guy gets it for a few days. Really? We, yeah. Wow. We, I, I mean, maybe people did that. I never heard of that ever. Like anybody buying a record, like splitting it, and then like take it home, and then I yeah, feel like it would never get around. Like, like the, if it was the record me, was like eight ninety nine, and well, no, yeah, and yeah. If we each yeah. put in like three bucks, yeah. then we can get a record, and then we could take it home, and you know, and we'd all go to my house anyways because I had a pool. Well, it makes perfect sense, yeah. I mean, you know, and we had a record player in the in the in the shed that the was pool. outside. Uh, really? Yeah, we had a we had a shed with all like the tools and stuff. And uh, and my dad put a record player. That's in pretty there. awesome, and man. That's um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> you had a pool with a record player, man. Yeah, no listen, wonder. Yeah, we listen to records, but you know, we'd each put it, pitch in three bucks, and yeah. then the three of us we'd go swimming and listen to Merciful Fate record. I would have gone awesome. to your house for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, that's pretty awesome. I didn't yeah, have any friends with pools, but yeah. then again, I didn't live in Southern California, so I had one friend who had a pool, but like it never. It was always freezing in there, and uh, you know, yeah. Um, anyway. And before right. that was the uh, um, the Witchfinder General, which I didn't really know about Witchfinder General until the early 2000s. So, you know, I, I know that they put out stuff, you know, way back in the day. Before the early, yeah, before that, yeah. Yeah, but I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't really know about any of that stuff, man. Yeah, well, you know. Well, you know, Angelo Tringali you got in Slaufeg, and then yeah, you got introduced true. to the world of heavy metal. It's true. I, You're you down know, in the. You're down there in the valley listening, or I mean, down there. In I met you guys in LA uh, listening to the Circle, watching the Circle Jerks play in Mexican restaurants. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I met you guys, and I uh, forget listening to what JFA. I was, I was listening to something, and then uh, we were driving somewhere, and Greg was like, "Yeah, man, you know, turn that off. Let's put on some Corner." And I'm like, "Corner? That sounds cool. Let's, let's listen." Well, Corner. He had those. Yeah, the corner yeah. And I'm like, awesome. let's, "Let's listen to Corner, sure, man." And then. Uh, you know, and once in a while you'd play some crazy stuff, and I just started taking it in and really, you know, learning about all that stuff. Started taking it in right about that time. Taking it in, That's man, when I joined Slaufeg. Yeah, right. Joined Slaufeg, <laughs> I was taking it in. Uh, <laughs> taking it all in. Uh, we, um, speaking of Slaufeg, yeah. Um, I don't know. Is this time to pull out the old... Uh, the yeah, old, man, uh, it's yeah. time. Because, you know, I got... Speaking of taking it in, is it time to pull... Uh, we, we had a... We had a um, a few things here um, we were going to do, but uh, you know what I'm going to do, though? You know, I, I think we're going to, I don't think it's time to take it in yet. I think we're going to play soon uh, a few things from a live show in Altoona, Pennsylvania that, that Slaufeg did. Um, and uh, I've got some stuff right here. But, you know, we're, we're sort of getting into the talking about these. You know, these uh, some bands that obviously people know about, like Merciful Fate and 
which funder general, but these other ones that you may or may not have heard of. And I think it's time to play a little bit more of that before we start tooting our own horn. I just I, that's what I'm feeling yeah, today. Yeah, sure, man. What, that's what, what I'm what, feeling. What, I want to hear relic. Relic. Let's relic. Some relic. So relic uh, is a band that I was turned on to um, in around that time you were talking about, early 2000s. Uh, maybe it was even 1999 or something, because I think Rob Preston, our friend Rob Preston, released one of their records, reissued it uh, on uh, Doom Planet Records, I think. And again, here, once again, my memory. He introduced a lot of people to a lot a of A lot music. of stuff, yeah. And Relic, turns out, was around in the mid-'80s, and this thing uh, I'm going to play for you this uh, is off a record they did... Um, that I have right here, and the name of it is uh, Killer, believe it or not. So killer. <laughs> this just song one, is called Into the Flesh. What? Just one killer? One killer, not killer, killer. killer. Yeah. And uh, I think this one is from the mid-'80s, but it was released. It wasn't actually, it was recorded then, but it was not released until much later. And these guys were from Northern California, from right around here. Where were they from? Or were they from Santa? I believe they're from San Jose, actually. Uh, and they have that, that, you know, they have that special San Jose uh, sort of <laughs> raw sewage sound to them. Uh, but this song, I mean, you'll see, uh, th this, is something to, this is something to hear, so let's just play it and I'll stop Some talking about relic. it. Yeah.
that Defender. there? Defender. Yeah, that so was cool, man. That was the first song you. Oh, well, the first song. That, um, that was Relic on the Killer uh, record that came out on Iron Glory Records uh, back in 2000 something. Uh, uh, and it was put out on vinyl uh, as well by uh, Doom Planet. And then you just heard Manila Road's Defender, which was. Uh, it's from the Metal album, which is the first record done in 1980, I believe. And Yeah, uh, I had never heard that one, man. No, yeah, it's great. That's my favorite. That, uh, the, uh, um, Metal and Invasion. Or now I'm starting to think that's, let me see that thing. That's, that's from, that's from, uh, Metal, um, I believe. Yeah, Metal records run together for me and probably for a lot of people and they were released later together on a cd um but that was defender on metal from manila road and about the video game and that's that video game's so it's classic man early Williams. was that that was like space invaders era right that was before like it was right like after space invaders it, it was, was right like after space Invaders. yeah it was okay. like space invaders and then berserk and then defender okay and then i was that was all pre um Pac-Man was the one that, I mean, that's the one that really blew open, you know, yeah. video arcade games. Oh, yeah. It was Galaga, my favorite, of course, but that didn't come to later. But uh, that's one of those songs that uh, when we, um, when our first record came out in, in 1996, uh, people go, oh, you, uh, this sounds like Manila Road. You got to hear Manila Road. This sounds like Manila Road. And I was like, you know, I, I didn't think it sounded. I don't. I didn't think Slaufeg sounded like Crystal Logic or. Did you know Manila Road already? Our, though yeah. you already knew who they were. I know. I heard. Of, I heard of them, right around that time, and um, but in the eighties when they were doing stuff like this, I didn't know who they were at all. Yeah, no, I no, I, they were super underground. But I didn't. Uh, but um, I never heard of Manila Road till I met you. Well, yeah, that's. Yeah, I mean that. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> no, but, yeah. And then you were like, you were like, oh yeah, you know, it's kind of like Manila Road, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, Manila Road. And then like <laughs> I went home and looked it up, and I'm like, oh okay, that's cool. You know? Well, Manila Road. Um, w when our first album came out, people started to tell me that you sounded like Manila Road, and I, I heard Crystal Logic and um, Mystification, and I thought this is cool, but it doesn't sound like Slough. In fact, I didn't think it did at all. It wasn't until I heard Metal and Invasion, songs like Defender, uh, and songs like. Um, um, you know, uh, street jammer and, and uh, stuff like that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I kind of get it. This stuff kind of does sound like us." Uh, that was my uh, that was what I thought. A and and interestingly, when, I, when we were talking about one of these in one of these last shows we did, when I met Mark Sheldon a couple years later in two thousand one, and I talked to him about it, he's like, "Yeah, people always say that you guys sound like us. I don't know what they're talking about." Like. <laughs> You know, I mean, kind of, but not really at all. No, and I was like, and we both liked each other's band a lot, but we were like, but whatever, I'll take it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah man, right on. But uh, cool stuff. I'm digging yeah, it. Yeah, dig it, man. Yeah, yeah so, dig it, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. So once again, you know, keep your pen and paper handy because uh, we always got some interesting tidbits. And um, also, you know, Wait, what, what are you I've telling them to do? What? I've gotten write a, down everything I say and I've report it to the Illuminazis <laughs> or something. <laughs> what you, what? I've gotten a couple of emails with people because. Um, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about if people want to send stuff in um, for oh, us, yeah, yeah, for yeah, us yeah. to listen to and play. And I've gotten Did some people. Did someone do it? 
there was a couple people who sent me some MP3s. Oh, but you know, and I was like, play yeah, hard you know, copy. Yeah, we play I hard want, product I want here. Physical copy because I don't want to have to That's like. What we do, man. Get the yeah. MP MP3 and put it on a CD and then take it here and put it in the. Yeah, unfortunately, and, we need hard copies yeah, because hard that's copies. kind of what we're doing here. We're trying to like trying to, you know, play records and that way we can look at the information. Some tapes and, and occasionally CDs. And stuff. And yeah, and so uh, you want to send stuff in? Send to Lord Weird Slaufeg, P.O. Box, one nine one three zero one, San Francisco, California, nine four one one nine in the U.S. of A. And and uh, make sure you disinfect it. We don't want anybody's cooties or anything like that. You know, I only go to the P.O. box like <laughs> once every couple of weeks. So. Also, all would have died by then. Unless <laughs> oh, we've forgotten. There's, I'm not just talking about COVID-19. There's Remember the old days? Like anthrax and, you know. There and the clap. Be, yeah, or, or God knows what. Kind of, you know, I don't God think knows. clap would survive in there too long. Well, yeah. hey, if scabies can live in someone's couch, they can certainly live in your P.O. Right? box, right? Totally. Yeah, they could. Yeah. P.O. Um, box is pretty much... Uh, Temperature controlled, I think that building is. I don't know. Over at the Rincon Center, right next to your yeah, apartment. Yeah, I used to have a PO box there. Yeah. Right next to your apartment. Oh yeah, that's true. Now you should just yeah. Now give them my address now, so they can. Uh, okay, Mike's send address. Send out, don't <laughs> send me. <laughs> Anthrax. All right, but now we're gonna. And now. We're gonna check out. Um, we <laughs> Uh, live at the fire hall in Altoona, Pennsylvania, summer of 1990. This is Slough and this is a tape I had lying around, a cassette tape I had lying around right um, for ages. I mean, since it happened in 1990. Now, this is before, obviously, before we came to San Francisco. And only two of the members of this form of the band made it to San Francisco. That was myself and Chris Hay uh, on guitar. And then, uh, anyway, but th this uh, form of the band, this, was, this, this tape was made right on the, uh, the soundboard. This so it white sounded. Tape, right? No, no, no. It's not the white tape. No, this is a live. What is known as the white tape was a demo that we did, oh. I believe, earlier that summer. Uh, and it sounds, uh, you, as, as you've heard and anybody else who's heard it, it sounds like holy hell, you know. It's, it's on a four track in someone's basement who we barely knew. Uh, we sort of, the summer in... That's in how you're supposed to do it when you're 16 or we, Yeah, well, we were 20. But the, the <laughs> basement, this basement, it was insane back then. Like it was, you know, Penn State... State College, Pennsylvania, during the summer was uninhabited because there was no students around, right? Barely. And so you have this empty campus, pretty much, in this town with nothing to do but parties. There's parties, 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 and, and uh, you know, punk and metal shows at the parties. And so we played a party at this, in this basement. Uh, and there's a very, you know, some of the, some of those houses there are very, very old and very, very big. Uh, just you know, giant college right? student. Yeah, well, maybe not that old, but they're they're uh, they're they've always housed just huge amounts of students and professors and all that, and they, they still. But a lot of them are very run down. So this one is really run down. And there was a party there, and we knew one guy who lived there. I, I didn't even know him myself, but he's like, "Yeah, play my party, man." So we played down there. Play my party. Yeah, and then we and then he had an, a, another party like the next week or something. We did it again in his basement, and it was this. Uh, anyway, so he and the only way to get down there, um, well, obviously from the house you could get down there, but it was one of those weird, uh, you know, those sort of doors that are like these. I almost think trap doors. Those doors that are on, uh, 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 like door. a basement door. Well, a basement, yeah, a cellar door, but a basement door that has like at an angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you just sort of open you it open out, and like, and there's the two stairs. doors, and you go down the stairs. Yeah, and I didn't even know what they, I guess, cellar door, and um, so. 
we'd left our equipment down there the, after the second party we played, which we had really crappy equipment, like really awful stuff. And um, I was playing, the singer's name was Omar, and I was, uh, he had a bass. And we had had a bass player, uh, and he quit uh, after like the second show. So we had two guitars, Chris <laughs> Hay and myself, Dave Passmore on drums, Omar Hurd on vocals. And, and this kid quit playing bass after the second show. So uh, we sort of broke up. Slaufeg just, that's it, okay, in the summer, you know. I was planning on coming to California to, to start a band or do whatever, do whatever. And that, but Slaufeg was just sort of this experiment that lasted a couple months. And then um, that, yeah, the bass player quit. And then summer came. And this kid asked us to do a party at his house. And we hadn't played together. Well, we'd only played together a handful of times anyway, but we had only played, we hadn't practiced together for months. Uh, and a couple of phone calls went around from Omar so to Chris. So it was a college me. party. Yeah, and he goes. 1990. Well, it wasn't a college, it was a summer party in a college town, yeah. Okay. Why are you trying to come up with a song lyric well, or no, something? No, just like, I'm thinking like, what kind of guy asks Slaufik to play at his house party? Uh, anybody. We were playing twice. We were playing. Well, <laughs> we were playing tons of house parties. That's all we could do is house parties <laughs> and stuff like that. I don't think we played much but a house party. But anyway, and so we went down there, and I said, "Well, we don't have a bass player." And I, Omar, we were sitting. I was in Omar's apartment at, at the time when this guy called and offered. He said, "Oh, this guy, Dale Colas, that was his name. Dale Colas, is some kid. Dale Colas <laughs> wants us to play his party, bro, over on West, wherever it was, East Pew Street or something." And he was like, well, we don't have a bass player. So, we, And then Omar had a bass, this really crappy bass sitting there. So we just sat there. And well, it'd be kind of fun to go do that. So he called Chris Hay, and he goes, I'm totally into it. Let's just do it. Even though we thought the band had broken up. Called Dave Passmore. Yeah, man, let's do it. Who cares? We'll suck, but who cares? Let's do it. And so, but what are we going to do about bass? And so, well, I just don't want to have a bass player. And then I, look, I was like, well, there's a bass right there. I'll play bass. I wrote the songs. I could, you know. So I sat down with Omar's bass and made sure I could, you know, whatever. I, yeah, I can yeah. do this. No problem. And so we borrowed someone's amp. We went down there, played the show. And then he asked us back the next week. We played that gig. And then we had, I think we had nowhere to put the equipment or something weird like that. Like, well, where are we going to take this? And we don't have anywhere to take it. Like, you know, everybody's. practice space or anything. No, yeah, everybody's, you know, we could take it to like my parents' garage and sit there. We're like, he's like, I'll just leave it here, man. You guys can party, you know, hang out. And, you know, we didn't want to like drink and drive or something. So he's like, just leave it here. And so we left it there. And then. He said, like a few days later or something. Oh yeah, the, the basement's yours all summer, man. Because like all the like the thing is, those houses, all the students who had lived there, had moved out, and so you have this sublet kind of situation, oh. all cheap. So just this kid Dale Coles, he just lived there by himself or with his girlfriend, this giant house, where all the well, all the college students they had paid for a whole year, or their yeah, parents yeah, were paying yeah. the rent, and so they bailed, and he just happened to be there, so he just stayed, right? That's cool, man. And so there was many houses like that. This guy Omar, who sang for us, who I don't think you've met him, but I he never met he him uh, he uh, he just went around in the summer to these different houses where there were empty rooms. He would go to a party, and he'd just sleep in the room and stay there for as long until <laughs> they kick him out. Oh yeah, tell you know, no problem. Like we did that a bunch of times, you know. Or some girl would be there, and we'd, you know, whatever would happen. We'd just stick around, and there'd be like a half a keg down there, and you keep drinking it and sitting in the guy's living room. Because there's no, there's all these ha empty houses around with these party guys partying it. So we just left our equipment down there all summer, and we were like, well, I mean, we weren't worried about people breaking in. It was crappy equipment, and it was relatively safe there. But I remember we put a chair or something. We put something uh, on the inside of that cellar door, mm -hmm. Chris Hay did it because he he seemed like he knew what he was doing or something, or uh, to, so so, uh, so that you know you couldn't quite get in from there. So we had to find a way into the house to get down there or something, and uh, 
So then we had played um, a bunch of these parties, and then this this was the first show we did uh, after we got back together with me on bass, like outside of town. So in did this you guys practice in that basement? Yeah, that's what he meant. He's like, it's, your, it's all yours all summer. So every time, he had parties like every couple of weeks. So we played there a handful of times, and we just practiced there, you know. And so that's where we recorded the white tape. So oh. we're down there. I didn't own a bass. I didn't own a bass amp. I don't know what I was playing through, honestly. I don't remember. Uh, Dave's really crappy drums are down there. Chris would take his amp back and forth because he didn't want it, you know, to get messed up or something or stolen. And Omar didn't have anything. We had like a microphone hooked up to some other amp or something. And so we borrowed a four track and brought it down there in this terrible equipment we had in this like, probably horrible sounding room, you know, and we had like one microphone. So we did one instrument at a time or I don't know what we did. But we made that Figured demo it down out, there. Yeah, yeah. It sound, that's why it sounds like hell. You know, it sounds utterly terrible, but it's kind of, kind of, kind of cute. You know, but this thing was the gig we did uh, that summer. That was actually the first time I think we went outside of town and played in Altoona, which is a, a small industrial well city. It's now a how small far city. is that from State College? It's 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 between State College and Pittsburgh, about each about an hour, equal distance. So Pittsburgh's about two hours. It's about an, an hour. Okay, it's day. about an hour. Okay. And. Uh, there were all sorts of, there were punks there and metalheads and everything. I, I'd played there with other bands before, and we knew all the Altoona punks, all the Altoona metalheads, all that, you know. So we did this, this at a fire hall there, and it's pretty insane. I mean, it's not, I mean, it's, you'll hear how incredibly loose it is. We weren't exactly tight, uh, but it's got the energy, and you hear some songs the there. Energy. So this Marauder, Sheets of Red, which never made it onto a Slough album, and then Journey Through the Halls of Insanity, if we get that far. We'll see how far we get here in listening to this, which also never made it into Journey Through the Halls of Insanity. That is a uh, Omar Heard uh, uh, lyrical work of genius. So, so this is 1990. Yeah. All right, man. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Live Slough 1990. This is called Marauder! Hey, yeah! Yeah. Come on. I'm a proud warrior, I'm sucking loud. 
place to go I can run, I can steal, I can hide But you know I never lose my pride You can see me in the forest at night Hiding in the shadows of my little pool night You can see me in the village at dawn Hiding in the shadows of my battle drawn. song man do it all the time I didn't mean to do that I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that oh we'll pay for it if we have to I fucking not it's not uh, just fuck fuck them fuck them fuck them fuck them let's play the next song She wanted it, she got inside of my head I just thought her, 
Just the 
dude i haven't I heard really, that for a long time i really like that that recording because i mean it's obviously it's a sloppy mess but it's got the energy omar my god yeah i was playing bass on that and um that was marauder sheets of red and journey through the halls of insanity you know and i still can you know i consider i consider that in a way the original band of course because it was the first band called Slowpeg. i it also was, consider yeah. the lineup out here of the first album and with chris hay before that uh, so you know Greg Hay, Chris Hay, Justin Phelps, and, and me also seems like the original band in a way because we sort of started up again out you know in San Francisco. But it was like two point I mean, those are original members. Those guys, I feel like they definitely you know. But the founding members, you know, Chris Hay, Omar Heard, uh, Dave Passmore. But uh, that what happened in that song? You can hear that he's raising all this hell between uh, between songs. Sorry, I mean to do that. Well, fuck it. Uh, you know. Because he smashed the ceiling. It, it was a really low, c- you know, these kind of big fire hall, you know, these or the kind of places we used to play a at. Big fire hall with a low ceiling. Well, do you, okay. <laughs> we, we used to play a lot of halls, meaning places that weren't, you know, places that would have dances or parties or whatever, but weren't like dining halls at Penn State. We played a lot. Uh, or um, fire halls, the kind of, you know, places you play in the suburbs where there aren't big clubs and you're too young to play, you're, play them anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he smashed the uh, the roof, which was a very low, I mean, I remember th- it was like his head was practically hitting the roof. He's a tall dude. Uh, and uh, he smashed his hand into the ceiling and all this dust and rubble and stuff fell through onto the stage. And at first he was like, oh, sorry, man, because uh, someone, some, you know, either managerial security person. Security man, security man. You know, it was like the kid who set up the show or something was like, oh, man, what the hell? So he was like, sorry, man, we'll pay for it. And he's like, well, screw it. We're gonna go. And, uh, and then he said something between, what do you say after he's Sheets He's hurling of obscenities. Yeah, he's hurling obscenities a bit. <laughs> and because uh, <laughs> we did Sheets of Red, which was, honestly, I'll tell you, we did Sheets of Red was a song that Omar was, obs- okay, Omar is one of the, I don't know, <laughs> Obviously, there's a, there's plenty of African American metalheads, no question about that, and Omar was one of them, and you wouldn't know that by listening to him necessarily. Uh, but he was obs- I'd never I personally had never met a black dude who was obsessed with Paul Diano before. Yeah, I that's thought that was not, really not cool. Too many of those. Yeah, I mean uh, the the black metalheads I knew were usually into you know some of them were Maiden, but it wasn't guys who were super like no killers. You know, Iron Maiden, Paul Diano, you know. And wanting and to sing like Paul Diano. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was really, I was like, oh, man, this is what we got to do. And so 
I mean, the truth is that he, I had heard, you know, I was, I was religiously listening to Iron Maiden through high school, um, but it wasn't until I'd heard the first Maiden album, and then I had all the other ones. I owned them. I didn't own the first one for some reason, because I remember listening to it going like, oh, this is cool, but it's not the same as like the Dickinson, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I didn't, and I had not heard Killers till I was 18, just for whatever reason. Killers never went on the turntable until I was 18. When I was 13, I was listening to Number of the Beast, you know. And uh, Omar said, you haven't heard Killers? What the hell is wrong with you? You're a Maiden <laughs> fan, you know? When I met him, he was like, you got... So he put it on, and I was like, you're right. This this is like might be the best you're Maiden like, this album. rules ever. And he's like, this is the guy. This is Paul Diano, you know? And so he's like, I want to sing like this. And, you know, so, so that made perfect sense. And um, but So all the did you write those songs without singing them you just gave omar lyrics yeah well, it's interesting how, because omar and i really started slough fag that's how it really right so, so and like, so so did you just like write lyrics go here sing this or did okay, you like actually we, we collaborated on those on the on the lyrics a lot so for marauder which obviously you've played and is on, ended up on down of those three songs is the one that made it on a slough fag album eventually marauder uh i wrote the music in fact the main riff i had i had written see when i was in senior year of high school omar was younger than me and i had met him then and we started this weird just for like a month or two i don't think we played live once at some rock against drugs festival or something we had like one or two gigs we started this band called virus x that was his name and we used i wrote this the songs virus x yeah but they wanted to do a hardcore band but i was writing all these metal riffs so i wrote that so we played that in virus x in 1987 or something by the time we started Slough Egg, it was 1990, and Omar and I was like, let's really do a metal band. Let's really do it. And let's sound like, the whole point is to sound like killers. A couple years before that, he'd been like, you have to hear this. What's the matter with you? And uh, so we are going to do this band that sounded like old school metal, because we'd both been in hardcore bands and this and that, you know. But we went to do a band that was just heavy metal, period. And so we called it Slough Fag because I've been reading the Slain, Slain uh, the Berserker comic book that had Slough Fag in it. And so uh, I wrote the music was that riff from Virus X that dun -dun 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 -dun, you know well, I br I brought that riff in, and then we added I, I wrote those other riffs then, and um, Omar and I wrote the lyrics together to Marauder. We actually we we, had no, we were bums we didn't have a job we didn't have anything you know, and so we sat down and we yeah man let's write this and we did it you know. And then Sheets of Red, the next song, I wrote the lyrics to, but I was trying to emulate, uh, you know, there's several songs on the first two Iron Maiden albums about killing women, you know? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, so we were talking about killing women, Sheets of Red. And then Journey Through the Halls of Insanity um, that I wrote the music for and Omar wrote the lyrics. I don't know what the hell that's about, but anyway, we had a good time back then. We had a really fun time playing those parties and those those uh, fire you didn't hall have gigs. Any jobs and you get a free place to play in someone's basement. Yeah, I didn't have a job that whole. Parents. I didn't have a job till the end of that summer until I got serious. But the band was going to move. The, you know, Slaufag did, and we were going to move out to San Francisco. Yeah, you so go. I'm going to save some money. Yeah, I had to make some money. We were just we were bums, you know. How much Cr money did you save Chris before a, you moved well, to San okay. Francisco? <laughs> Um, bucks? About thirteen hundred bucks. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Good. Oh no, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't that. That's why Omar didn't come. See, uh, so what happened was Chris Hay, who was you know who was in the band, uh, had it together a lot. He didn't. Our parents lived in town. We were kind of these. You well, know, he was older than you. Chris, guys, right? no, no, he was. 
well, he was like a year older than me. Mm. He was in my grade in high school, but his parents had moved away and split up and this and that, right? And he had two brothers, one of which was Greg, of course, who didn't live in state. So uh, he lived in Louisiana with his mom, I think. So Chris was living in state college because that's where he went to high school. That's where his friends were, but his parents had moved on, moved away. And so he was there working all the time. He had a, like a nice apartment. He was a lot more, you know, he had it together a lot huh. more than us. He worked all the time. He was a, he was a, he, he painted houses. He had a job. So he made, oh, he had a, a good had a job. Back then, that was a good job painting live, houses. Yeah. Well, he didn't work at the 7-Eleven. He, he had was a painting. car, too, yeah? No, he did not have a car. Oh, he no. did not have a but car. But I had a car. I was the one with the car. So <laughs> I drove us around. I had the car. So I was driving those guys around all the time. And it what was, kind you know, of car did you have? A Mazda uh, station wagon, like a Mazda GLC station wagon. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty cool. Awesome. It was a piece of crap. No, it was great. It. it was great. It was it was a really fun summer. And uh and um yeah, we played parties, we played fire halls, we just and we were just we didn't hardly have any equipment. We did what we do now. We showed up and just used whatever equipment was there, you know. <laughs> hey Mac, can I use your back lines, man, yeah. And uh we just had a fun time, man, because Omar was insane and he wouldn't get a job. Chris was working all the time, but he never slept. He just got off work and just partied and played in slouching. And uh, he was the one who had it together. So then eventually he's like, I got to get a job because we're going to move out. We're going to do this. We're going to move out to California. Pretty soon, Dave, the drummer, Dave Passmore, was like, he immediately was like, like I, I got to stay in college. I got a girlfriend. I, got, I, I can't just run out there with you guys. Sorry. You know? So we were like, all right, all right, that's cool. Omar and Chris and I were going to come. And that's when Greg showed up. Chris's brother came up uh, from Louisiana, and he was a lot younger than us, you know, like three or four years younger. But he came up... Uh, uh, to visit, and then we we're like, Dave's not coming with us out west, and so Greg was like, I'll just stay here and go out west. He had nothing else to do. Got a job at liter- at the seven at the Seven Eleven. <laughs> he did, yeah. He got a job at Seven Eleven, and he wasn't afraid of work. He just started working, you know. And then I was like, I gotta get a job here. I'm being a being a douche, you know. So I went out and got a job uh, doing the doing the painting stuff with Chris. Oh, and it cool. I was terrible as a painter. <laughs> I mean, he literally like. He didn't fire me, but he was like, I just had no experience painting, and I did not like it. It bored me to tears. I'd st- it wasn't for me. I was painting houses. I, I was okay. Let's do it. After a while, I was like, Dude, this is taking you way too long. Dude, this is any. And finally, he was like, Dude, uh, my foreman has some other job for you to do cleaning apartments for the, the college students are all starting to come back in town. It's the end of the summer, you know, and we got to get it together, get some money, go out west. And so he's like, Hey, man, you want to just, you know, I was more like the, the scumbag ultimate like menial guy, just. Like, Get on the floor and clean these bathrooms. Yeah, you can't paint the scrub way. these floors. Well, I don't know how to paint. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, and I wasn't very good at it. So scrub I started scrubbing the floors and doing that. And I got an Omar and I swap the poop deck. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So <laughs> gr- this is this is a great. It was awesome. It was the end of the the summer. We'd been had this band. We had a great time. We were playing shows the whole time. Still, Greg, Chris's brother Greg Hay was up, and they were painting these apartments. Because the students were all coming back. So his foreman, the guy he worked for, was a guy who was in charge of a lot of the giant college housing apartment buildings. Not the right. dorms, but the college apartments. To go in there and really scrub the hell out of them uh, for the new kids, the new leases. The yeah, new kids yeah. to come and leave. So there was a lot of work. So eventually, because I sucked at painting and blah, 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 Omar wasn't much better. Chris and Greg were good at it. They had painted houses. And then Omar and I would go clean, you know, would go yeah, in yeah. there and scrub them and scrub and pretty soon Omar stopped showing up. Oh, he doesn't. Man. I mean, it didn't take long until he just didn't come around. And I was running around because I had a car. I was ah. driving the paint guys or Chris and those guys around to one place, and then I'd go to another place and I'd scrub things and do that. And I didn't like it, but I did it for yeah. two months. And um, it was great because then 
we're, we're leaving town, right? So Chris, Chris's lease was up also at his apartment, and he wasn't going to renew it because we are going to go to California. So he was living in the apartments that he painted. Nice. So he'd paint an apartment, and they're all empty. All these different. He had a ton of work, and he'd just sleep in that apartment. And I was worried. We were both worried about him breathing in too much. Uh, you know, he'd paint the place and then fall asleep there at night. Because I'll just pay, I'll just wow. fall asleep with a mask on. But you know, he was okay. He could get through anything. And then I'd scrub stuff and go back to my parents' house. And um, I did that. And yeah, Omar just kind of flaked. You know, got wow. got a few bucks and went and got someone to buy him beer or whatever and did it. And eventually, I was like, dude, you're not. You don't have any money. I just saved a thousand bucks. You don't have no. What, what, and he just. He just, yeah, you know, well, I'll just live on the street. And he's just <laughs> when we get out there, and it, Greg and him were like, we'll live on the street, you know. And I'm like, no, you're not living on the street. You're not going to. And eventually he admitted, okay, okay, I can't really go, you know. <laughs> and so I was. So then I ended up, after all that ended, I got my old job back at the miniature golf course. See, I was the guy who didn't have much work skills. These guys could paint houses. I was like, I'll scrub the floor and clean the toilet. And I managed a miniature golf course. You know, on the, uh, uh, whatever. Uh, after that, I got my <laughs> old job back. Managing a miniature golf course at five bucks an hour, which was a lot of money. Yeah. In Pennsylvania, that was a big thing in 1990 for me. For that was like, wow. So then I saved another whatever it was. Well, minimum wage was like four and a quarter, probably. Something like that. And uh, so then, yeah, so that was it. Uh, of the original band, Chris and I are the only ones who made it. And then Greg, who hadn't played with us yet, but he was, you know, he's at all the gigs, knew all the songs. And then, then we came out here without Omar, which is a shame. I often wonder what because he was so great. I wonder what would have happened if Omar would have gotten it together a little more uh, and made some money. You and guys just really could have been up and coming. Yeah, we would have been. We would have been huge. Yeah. No, we probably would have stayed sounding more like that. Not not in the sense that we were loose. We probably would have gotten better, but we probably would have sounded more like whatever you just heard, whatever yeah, you want to yeah. call that. You know, a little more crazy. People might have liked, but instead, I started singing, and then we started doing this stuff that fit my voice, and everyone hated it. You know. And what we did anyway. just hear, <laughs> we did just hear that that was off of the Slaystack Grows. That's right. Released on uh, Shadow Kingdom Records. Uh, yeah, so Tim McGrogan from Shadow Kingdom Records got a hold of me eventually and said, hey, I want to put out all your old demos. And so the, the, the tape that I told you about wasn't a demo, but thanks. The tape was uh, from that fire hall off the soundboard. But yeah, Tim McGrogan was cool enough to, to put all this together and say, I want to release, the, release this on Shadow Kingdom Records. So that Yeah, was and I think it's all sold out, too. I think they're Maybe, all, yeah. I don't think there's any available anymore. So that was just one of the one of the f the many uh, sections of this uh, double CD called The Slay Stack Grows uh, that I that came with. Anyway. At least the last time I emailed him and asked him for uh, copies, he said there was none available. So, Wow. Mm, yeah, well, that, you know, what's funny is he was... That was years ago, too. Well, he put, this, he put all these old demos together in... Or, yeah, in 2008. Yeah. Yeah, so 18 years after uh, that was recorded... And the original white tape, which was made in that crappy basement, was recorded. And then a bunch of live stuff. Some of it with you, sir, on it. The last piece on here has Adrian on it. Yes. has. Oh, uh, the Lucifer Hammer thing? Yeah. Oh, and then the Radio X interview. Oh, that was ridiculous. Do you remember that? I've never listened to oh, that. Oh, I said no. this craziest, dumbest stuff on that. Yeah. No way, really? Well, I mean, just, just stuff <laughs> about like how I was going to like... Shocker. <laughs> well, when we first got... Yeah, I know. When we first got, um, <laughs> it was one of the early interviews for like Twilight of the Idols or some something like that, you know, or Down on the Dead Men. I don't know what it was. Uh, one of our early albums, and I was trying to shot be a shock. I was like, hey, you know, I got interviews of these magazines, so I'm going to try to be ridiculous. So I was telling these ridiculous stories about how I was uh, dating the singer from Sacred Steel or like this guy, a guy, you know, like trying to convince people I was gay or something, you know. I was just like, oh, you know, <laughs> well, you know what they say. You met when you. 
uh, when people start saying you're gay, then you've made it. Or when there's rumors that you're gay, then you've made it. So I figure if I started the rumor, then I would make it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we had an ongoing joke about me and Garrett Mutz about that. Anyway. Um, Garrett Mutz. Yeah, Garrett Mutz. So, uh, Sacred Steel. Yeah, so... so uh, that's the slay stack grows. Um. Cool, man. All right. Anyway, well, rock and roll never die. Rock and roll no. never die, <laughs> even though it passes on. Um, yeah, yeah. Once again, this has been Slough Fake Radio, Season 1, Episode 8. Uh, always make sure to keep your pen and paper handy, and if you would like to have your um, record uh, listened to and talked about by uh, Mike and Adrian, then feel free to send it to the Lord Rear Slough Fake P.O. Box 191301, San Francisco, California, Nine four one one nine in the U.S. of A. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Well, it's Saturday night and I just got paid. Fool about my money, don't try to save. My heart say go, go. Have a time for Saturday night. Now I feel fine. I'm on a rock it out.